Hi there, welcome to HR Shop Talk. I'm your host, Andrea Adams. This show delves into the details of HR through conversations with smart, experienced, and successful professionals who've done the work. You can also find me on YouTube where you can interact with me and other people like yourself. Today, my guest is Jody Fraser. Jody is a Director of Labor Relations and a member of the Alberta Labor Relations Board. She has led countless rounds of bargaining, and I'm excited to talk to her about this topic. Hi, Jody. How are you? Hi, Andrea. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Excellent. Looking forward to this. I uh, way early in my career, I had the opportunity to sit on a um, bargaining committee, um, but uh, it's been quite a while, so I'm looking forward to what we're going to learn here. So, uh, first uh, question, just to set the stage: What is meant by collective bargaining? Some people call it negotiating okay, uh, yeah. or CBA, negotiating CBA. There's all kinds of, of language used in the sector. Essentially what it is, it's taking that agreed to terms and conditions. Uh, many times it's a, it's a book or some kind of document, which really outlines all of the terms and conditions for a group of employees that belong to a certain union. Yes. And that particular union with the employer sit down together uh, and work to try and come up with new terms and conditions and confirm the ones that they want to continue to use. So how long do these agreements typically span? That's all part of the bargaining process. So sometimes right. the agreement could span one or two years. Sometimes it could, uh, we've had a collective agreement at my employer for a four year period. Mm -hmm. And so it's not set. Uh, you need to negotiate that with the parties at the table. So What's the advantages to negotiating, negotiating, and I'm already getting off topic because we should be talking about collective bargaining preparation, but I'm curious, like to having a longer versus a shorter collective agreement. I think there's many factors that contribute to the length of the collective agreement and, and what you want. And so it depends on does the organization that you're bargaining for, uh, is there is there large changes that are coming? So you would want a shorter collective agreement right. so that the terms and conditions have a bit of an end date and you have an opportunity to reset some of those terms and conditions. Uh, maybe there you're looking for some labor peace because you've got some major big changes or reorganization that you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, and you would be able to talk about that at the bargaining table and then set a longer term. Uh, so that the terms and conditions will work for you during that term and and you you don't have to worry and, and have the resources involved in negotiations, but you can really move to improving relationships. Maybe you've just come off a strike um, or some other kind of work stoppage where you mm -hmm. want to spend some time and, and, and really work on the relationship. So to, back to and getting focused on um, preparing for bargaining, what are the steps that you go grow through as you prepare for bargaining. There, there's a few factors. Uh, I don't. I don't have you know a set date and say okay. Well, our collective agreement uh, because of the labor code says I have to start bargaining 120 days before the expiry. You definitely yeah. want to be thinking about what that means prior to the 120 days. For me, I take a look at our strategic plan. I spend okay. a lot of time with our our senior leaders about where does the organization want to go. Um, once I find out where the organization wants to go, are there any terms and conditions in the collective agreement which would stop us from reading, reaching that particular goal or right. inhibit us from reaching that goal? Um, sometimes uh, even paying attention to um, grievances, 
um, arbitrations. Maybe you've lost an arbitration um, or the union has won one uh, and you'll need, it forces you to make some changes uh, into the, into the collective okay. agreement that way. So yeah. there's lots of inputs that come in um, that you have to think about it. So one of my strategies is, is I always keep, uh, and this is pretty old school, so uh, maybe I can move to OneNote uh, in the future, but <laughs> I keep a printed collective agreement available. And as the year goes by okay. or as we're implementing, if there's little tweaks or things that I'm thinking about or, you know, I'm having um, discussions about something that is working or not working with the union, I go to, to that particular section or article in the collective agreement and I'll highlight it and say, you know, do we need to take a look at it? Is this working for us? Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I do is I also go out and sometimes we use our own polls. So we will create our own survey. Unions many times uh, create a survey and send it out to the members about what's important. Yeah. Yeah. We do the same thing. We take a look at what's important. Uh, and sometimes depending on uh, the group that you're bargaining with, you'll have external sources uh, for what that bargaining preparation looks like, whether it be a pattern across Okay. the um across the sector or you know there's some aligning that you that you need to do through outside sources you want to take a look at the market if you have a, a market driven compensation model in your collective right. agreement you'd want to review that yeah. and see you know what's the inflation look like what's it look like in your city is this a national collective agreement is it a local one um, mm -hmm. because those national and local issues would also help drive what you're um, striving for at the bargaining table wow that is, mm -hmm. that is so many things. How do you organize it all? So I think one of the things is, as well, you have to be flexible at the table um, because you don't know what the union is going to propose in their inbound right. proposal. But for those who do a lot of negotiation, a lot of the work is before you even get to the table. And so while the conversations are a lot of work and, you know, a lot of time and it, it's mm -hmm. important and you want to maintain that relationship, a lot of the time there is there isn't as much work to do at the table as there is before you get to the table. And so mm -hmm. essentially, as we're getting ready to ratify uh, a collective agreement, I'm already moved on to the to thinking about what the next collective agreement looks like. Where mm -hmm. did we go? What did we not get? What concessions did we need to make? And do those concessions help us go forward or not? Right. There's also this concept of generational bargaining where you know it's going to, you have a you have a big goal okay. uh, that you want to get there, but you know that it incremental steps around change right. management, you, you need right. to incrementally get there. And right. how far did you get there? You know, and, and what are the hills that you want to die on? And what are the ones that you can concede? Hmm. It's all of those, you know, having all of those conversations and then checking in regularly with your principals to make sure that nothing's changed. Uh, sorry, who are the principals? So it depends on whoever has, uh, on behalf of the employer, whoever would be signing off that this is oh, the direction okay. that you want to go on, on okay. bargaining. So where I work, we have a board of governors, but other areas may have a board of directors. You yeah. may have the president, uh, depending on the organization. So we were talking about the steps in preparing for bargaining. Did you cover everything you were going you should cover? I, I, I think so. Okay. Um, you also, you want you. Know, it also depends on if you're in a traditional bargaining setting or if okay. you're going to do things like interest-based bargaining. Because I think your preparations may be a bit different if you're doing a traditional bargaining where you have uh, articles of language back and forth, and yeah. you just want to, you know, trade away things. Yeah. that's obviously going to be a lot more work than 
um, you know, coming with an interest and knowing what those interests are and, you know, what your end game is, but then you work through the language at the table, which obviously takes more time face-to-face with the union. How do you decide who's going to be on the bargaining team? For us uh, and where I'm bargaining uh, right now, we have a communications team member, which has been a new ad for this year. It's been very valuable uh, for really working through that communication strategy. Uh, We Mm -hmm. chose to have the person at the table uh, because, of course, you would have resources at the table and then you would have a bigger bigger team that could help you um, organize yourself with bargaining away from the table. Um, Yep. So we have our, we've decided to have the communications person invest in being at the table. Right. Uh, we also have, uh, it's very important for me to have a couple of people who actually are the subject matter experts. While right. I may be the talking head at the table, I need to have a team behind me who can um, really understand uh, if, if we're talking about um you know, teaching, I I work in a post-secondary institution. So if we're talking about what we call the academy or the faculty, it would be important for me to have someone from that line of business. Um, So that as, as we're talking about things, they definitely are contributing and can challenge any kind of uh, understanding or misunderstanding Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. around what the intent is. So we have got, I've got a couple of of subject matter experts. I like to call them. I always want to have a finance friend uh, at the table uh, for me. I think uh, I learned that early on having someone uh, from the finance, wearing that finance lens is for me invaluable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I also like to have someone who's responsible for just organizing things. So keeping a running total of what we've talked about, where are we Mm -hmm. at with our inbound proposal, Mm -hmm. What have we signed off on taking the notes and making sure that we, you know, our agreed to interpretation is documented for us as the management side. So I know that you have to prepare proposals and maybe that's not for all bargaining types, but how do you decide what those proposals are and what the content of them is going to be and, and the approvals, who approves those proposals? Right. Uh, that's a good question. So, um, I think it depends again on which type of bargaining you wanting to participate in. And so the, the current round of bargaining that we're participating in, uh, we've taken a bit of a hybrid approach. We knew that there were some things that we wanted to propose some language outright for our friends across the table to take a look at. And then there were other things that we really didn't have any, you know, set direction on where we wanted to go. We had some mm-hmm. interests yeah. uh, and we had, we wanted to talk about those and the, t- and the, the conversation and building that relationship was important around those. And so in, in that instance, we used uh, an uh, interest-based proposal where we, we specifically, you know, talked about what the problem is and yeah. then we indicated what the, our interests were and, okay. you know, that we wanted to have a conversation. And then there's some, there's some things that we do uh, while actively bargain uh, around giving them some, pro, you know, some additional information. Right. We've, we've been watching some YouTube videos on some certain content mm-hmm. uh, because it's important that we, you know, everyone has an understanding about where we're going and why and, mm-hmm. and some of the research behind it, to, you know, to try and just provide some data. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we do it as collectively as a team, but it's a project. And so mm-hmm. in, in there is, mm-hmm. I think our, our proposal maybe was about 55 or 60 pages and we've, uh, we've put everything together. And then before obviously presenting that uh, to the union, you would go and, and follow, you know, the, the bylaws that you have of the organization where you work. 
and make sure that uh, you have the proper authorities put in place. So where I work, the authority is that the Board of Governors grants um, the uh, president and CEO of the organization um, to enter into bargaining and can conclude bargaining on their behalf. Right. Um, and then and then through that, what I tend to do is put all the issues on a giant spreadsheet. Um, and so we have the issue if there's a cost, if there's an unintended consequence or impact, or it's a you know how big the change is, and then we mm-hmm. actually walk through with our uh, with the principals what those are, and I get a red, yellow, green light. On those red items, are those the items that could go as far as like a labor stoppage? Those would be the ones. Yes, I would that I don't have. I don't have the authority from the principals to uh-huh. either enter into an agreement on or I need to come back. And it's okay. it's a flag for myself and the team to say, we're not supposed to, we need to have more discussions about this. So let's mm-hmm. get more information or we need more data or we need to see what it is that the union is asking for in, you know, in return and, and come at it from a whole package. So how do union characteristics affect your preparation or, or does it? I mean, it must. Yeah. I mean, I think if you, if, if you as a, uh, as someone who is trying to, to lead some bargaining, if, if the other party doesn't want to participate in interest-based bargaining, yeah, you know, don't do it. Or, you know, spend some time getting them to understand the benefits of interest-based bargaining before you start uh, the bargaining process and, and start to come to some agreements around, around what that looks like. And so, you know, obviously you don't want to do work twice. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or be unprepared. So I think, you know, you do have, I tend to have conversations with the union around, you know, what to expect or mm-hmm. what are you thinking about this? And mm-hmm. are we doing a full deal or do you want to do interest-based bargaining and, mm-hmm. and have some of those conversations prior to the, even starting the process. So mm-hmm. we would have been talking about it a few months before even entering into bargaining. So you've talked about interest-based bargaining, and then you've talked about um, more that classical exchanging proposals type bargaining. Mm-hmm. So can you talk more about the styles of bargaining and sort of the default and sort of build that picture there? It's difficult to build a specific picture for folks yeah. because I think okay. it really does. I think it, the relationship that you have with who you're negotiating across the table mm-hmm. is really going to direct that. So hmm. in my experience, I get to negotiate with someone where it's a local union. Uh, if you're working with a national union, you have someone parachute in. Yes. The, the issues are nationally focused. And so it may be more difficult to talk about local issues if, if it's nationally focused. And so you would have to take all those things into consideration as you were you were prepping but with my particular experience I have a provincial union and I also have a local faculty association it doesn't change the way we prep but I think it changes the way uh, the outcome of our preparations uh, going forward is and so depending on the style the comfort the trust uh, within the parties I think Mm -hmm. that's what kind of determines or what that style is Mm -hmm. When you get down to difficult, difficult issues, I think that you tend to revert back to, well, here's my proposal. Mm. I don't like it. Here's yours. I don't like yours. And then, you you know, it becomes more because you actually have to start to get things on a paper. Mm -hmm. Um, And until you get things on paper, sometimes it's not, you know, 
comprehensible for people. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that you're, you're checking in. And if you're too, you know, philosophical, then you're just going to spin your wheels and you're not going to actually get anywhere. Um, so it all depends on how you leave it at the table with your counterpart as to whether or not you, you know, you have one day, uh, every month where you bargain or you're on a regular cycle so that you, you have those cycles to have that relationship conversation. But sometimes, you know, you may be working with someone who's from out of town and you have, you know, two or three really intense days where you can, you know, kind of churn out some language. And then mm -hmm. other times you may, you may only meet once every other week. And so there's some things that you need to do away from the table. So all those factors to kind of, kind of come together to try and figure it out and mm -hmm. you can have the best laid plans, but it's not until you're working with that other party that you can land on something. Right. So we talked about that classic exchange of um, proposals and then interest-based bargaining. Is there any other types or are those the two main ones? I think I, I'm sure there is a bargaining, yeah. like a labor yeah. relations scholar that's going to correct me. I am not right. that scholar. Um, right. So for, for in me, your practical the, world, the, the, in my practical world, it's for me, that's those two or, or I've done a hybrid of both. So mm -hmm. I guess there would be a third option to okay. do a hybrid of both. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, final question here. What, in your opinion, is the most overlooked aspect of bargaining preparation? Implementing your ideas. If you get where you want to get with your proposal, how are you going to implement it? So mm -hmm. have you done everything to make sure that your payroll team isn't going to be upset with you or your workforce administrator team? Can your systems do it? So we are, we are constantly asking those questions during the bargaining prep you know, while we may have this great idea, can we actually implement it? And are there any systems, HRIS systems, whatever that system may be mm -hmm. that your, uh, you and your organization uses, or if you're bargaining on behalf of someone and you're not familiar with the organization, you need to make sure that they can implement it. So it would be really important to have people at the table who, or at least access to them as mm -hmm. you're creating those, uh, those ideas in your head around, is it really an issue or you know, can we implement it? Um, the other one would be, is this a union issue or is this our management issue? And we just think we have an issue. You know, you, you do get circumstances where someone, you know, you put something on the table and they're like, well, you have all kinds of management rights around this. Like, what do you, right. why did you bring this up? And right. then you're like, oh, you know, well, okay. You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's just our issue and we need to do more training with our leaders. Right. But it's still a good conversation to have. Well, thanks, Jody. I've had quite a bit of exposure to bargaining, but I've learned some things today and we've reached the end of this episode. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time when I talk shop with another insightful guest.